I have been a part of the Locked On Podcast Network for over three years, and I have surpassed 700 episodes recently, but I've never had someone from the Let's Go Devil podcast until today. Sam Wu from that podcast is accompanying me on today's episode. We're going to get his thoughts on the historic season by the Devils, and we're also going to hear Sam's picks in regard to his team awards, MVP, X-Factor, an underrated asset, and our expectations going into the new year. There's a lot to talk about with Sam Wu. Buckle up, everybody. You're Locked On Devils, your daily podcast on the New Jersey Devils. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, this is Bryce Salvador, and you're Locked On Devils with Trey Matthews. All righty now, what is up, New Jersey? Welcome back to the Locked On Devils podcast here on Locked On Network. I'm your host, College Hockey Club, a play announcer, Dells Ryan for Pucks and Pitchforks, and also part-time credential media member, Trey Matthews. I am joined alongside Sam Wu, one of the co-hosts for Let's Go Devils podcast. And Sam, I've been a part of uh, Locked On for over three years. I have surpassed 700 episodes, and this is the first time that I've ever had someone from the Let's Go Devils podcast uh, collaborate with me on an episode, and I'm glad you're here. Obviously, you're very popular on the Devils discourse, but before we get into all that, how you doing? Great, and Trey, thank you for having me on. Better late than never. We had a nice dinner at Chickies and Pete's uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, it's been quite the talk of, uh, of your meal that you uh, posted on social media. Absolutely. I said we were having a, a business meeting. Of, of course, I put that in quotation marks because it wasn't an actual business meeting. It was just two guys having dinner. Uh, for anyone who wants to uh, go to Chickies and Pete's, uh, that's in South Philadelphia. So um, it was definitely that was my first time going and I actually enjoyed it. So and I appreciate you uh, uh, paying for my meal, picking up the tab. So not a problem. Uh, dinner will be on me next time. But uh, well, we're not here to talk about food. We're here to talk about the New Jersey Devils and their historic season because I've been talking to a lot of Devils content creators the last few days and basically trying to get their opinions in regard to uh, the season and what made it so historic from their perspective. And uh, like I said, Sam, we're here to reminisce over that. So uh, my first question for you is, and this is probably an obvious one, so I'm just giving you a softball one. Uh, was this season a success for Devils? I would love to hear your thoughts on the matter. It was obviously an overachievement for the New Jersey Devils. I think a lot of us uh, during preseason were just hoping to be relevant in April. That's that's what we were hoping for. We were hoping that number 10 seed, number 9 seed, maybe a four-point spread just to get yourself into the playoffs, just to get to the big dance. What we didn't realize is that uh, after the first two games of the season, that the team would actually turn it around, went on a 13-game winning streak, which some would say is an unofficially 19-game winning streak just because of the, the mess on November 23rd with the referees and uh, Toronto and, and the war room up in Toronto and all yeah, that. Can I, can I actually provide some uh, background uh, for that? Uh, What's that? So – 
the infamous night, as I like to call it, trash night at the Prudential Center. So as everyone knows, uh, the Devils were on the brink of breaking their uh, franchise record for longest win streak. And unfortunately, they had three goals waved off. And like you just said, Sam, and this is going to be the biggest what if that we're going to be talking about for a while because the Devils ended up winning their next three games after that game. So it's just like, what could have happened if that game went differently and the Devils still continued to win those three games afterwards? Because that would have, what, uh, tied the record for um, the, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, yeah. for longest win streak ever in NHL history. And obviously, like I said, that's a big what if. Yeah, big what if. Um, and... You know, obviously the fans were literally uh, littering the ice. That's not always good, but you know, it's again. You know what? It, it was it, that night when when I was there. It was the intensity of that crowd. It was a perfect storm. If anybody remembers, it was a perfect storm because it was the day before Thanksgiving. It's a, a Wednesday night game. The Devils are on this hot winning streak, and you're playing Toronto. And everybody was all liquored up like no other. And it was just everything was just boiled over into that moment of third period. But anyway, that was still a favorite memory of mine, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think midseason I listed that as uh, one of my top 10 most memorable things that happened uh, up to that point. Because as I like to refer to it, even though it's not really a good look to throw trash onto the rink, but I can understand why fans were frustrated. I call that once again, trash night at the Prudential center because I I just, but I want to say I love the passion from the fan base. And it was great to see that because a lot of devils fans. And I think we can attest to this have been negative the last few years. It seems like this rebuild was going nowhere. Felt like we were going in circles Yes, the Devils made the playoffs in 2018, but the last time that they were actually competitive, you would have to go back to the last time they appeared in the Stanley Cup final, which was back in 2012 when they played um, the LA Kings. That was the last time that they were very competitive in the playoffs. So a lot of people were just wondering, like, when are the Devils going to be relevant again? When are they going to take that huge step forward and we were able to see that with Jack Hughes, Nico Keisher, Jesper Bratt. They became buyers at the trade deadline. They got Timo Meyer. They got Curtis Lazar. Goaltending got better with Vitek Vancek, Akira Schmidt. Playoffs, I'm, I'm sure it could have been a little bit better. It wasn't perfect, but they made it out the first round, which was a huge achievement, and I'm sure nobody in NHL discourse saw that coming. And the Devils were able to overcome a 2-0 deficit beat their dreaded rival, uh, the New York Rangers, in seven and make it to the second round against Carolina Hurricanes, that's a huge step forward. And that just shows how much improvement this team has made. So it kind of leads into my next talking point, which is if you had to pick one player on the team, who was your MVP? That's a great question. Um, The obvious is Jack Hughes, obviously, because, you know, he was just unbelievably offensively. But, you know, if I were to really go back and and think about who had, uh, you know, that's that's a really tough question if you don't say Jack Hughes. 
because Jesper Bratt had a great first half of the season, uh, tailed off a little bit, um, but then finished strong. But And then you had Timo Meyer coming in the middle of the season. Eric Halla, the first half of the season, he did everything right but score. I mean, you know, if you remember Halla, a lot of fans were just like, why is he on the ice? Why is he playing with Jack Hughes? But that second half of the season, it was just a, a steady rise to the playoffs, it's as if he scripted it that way. Um, but yeah, he was one of the he was one of the reasons why the Devils made it past the first round because he had a huge showing against the Rangers, and as we all know, he had that legendary selly over Igor Shesterkin at one point that has now become a very popular GIF and also a very popular meme. Yeah. So, but for MVP, it, it has to be Jack Hughes. It's a stretch to say it's somebody else, but there were uh, uh, quite a few players around Jack Hughes that obviously deserve some credit for the, for this season, this past season's success. But it, it has to be Jack Hughes. He did everything. I mean, it just all the focus was on him. Um, but at the same time, he just made everybody better around him. So not too long ago, I actually spoke with uh, Christy Flannery of the Hockey News, and uh, we were both talking about the matter, and we both agreed that Jack Hughes was our MVP. And, and, you know, Christy said, like, what his impact was for a team. I talked about his narrative, which was, like, going into the season, a lot of people had doubts for Jack Hughes outside of the Devils fan base. Like, people were questioning, is Jack actually going to be – this is he going to be that because he even said it during during his exit interview when I was talking to him he said that not too long ago people were calling him the biggest bust ever mm-hmm. and now he was able to score 40 goals and mm-hmm. I just think like when you look how much further this Devils team has uh, gone from being a lottery team to now being a legitimate playoff team because now it's not a matter of getting to the playoffs it's a matter of being contenders come the new year and who's at the helm of it, it's Jack Hughes. So I think if you look at the narrative, all the naysayers, all the doubt, what Jack had to overcome. So his first year in the league, he had the worst performance by a first overall selected forward since Joe Thornton in the late 90s. So we're talking about Patrick Stefan had a better rookie year compared to Jack Hughes. And now, as you guys know, Patrick Stefan is infamously known for missing a open net opportunity at point blank. And obviously we could talk about Lexi Lafreniere, but that's a story for another time. Um, But yeah, Hughes didn't have a good showing his rookie year. Then here comes the 56 game COVID year. And we saw him improve a little bit, but it was nothing that set the league on fire. But Devils fans were like, he's starting to improve a little bit. He's starting to showcase it. Then his third year, uh, he had a really good showing in terms of point production, but the problem was he was barely on the rink because he was hurt. And now mm-hmm. fourth year, Devils make it past the first round. They uh, had their most wins in franchise history. And uh, Hughes broke Patrick Aliash's single-season points records. Before we continue today's discussion, I want to tell you guys about FanDuel. And like always, please remember to gamble responsibly. So, Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, just 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200 you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over and under to who you think is going to hit the first home run 
of the game, all in an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better way to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 on bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, back to today's discussion. Take it away once again. Uh, I agree with you. Hughes is the MVP, but I was talking to another Devils content creator, and his uh, name is Jersey Joe. You might have seen him on uh, Twitter, mm-hmm. and you may have interacted with him at one point. He's a fellow writer of mine over at Pucks and Pitchforks, and he's also the host of Heads Up Hockey Podcast. He picked Nico Heischer as his MVP because Heischer is obviously the leader of the team. I love talking to Heischer in the locker room. He's always a great person, but Heischer finished second in the Selkie uh, trophy race. And obviously Patrice Bergeron won it, but um, the fact that he sure went from similar to Hughes went from being sort of an injury prone player to people doubting him to being able to lead this team to victory as being the captain, you could pick he as your, as your MVP and not be crazy. Quite honestly. That's a great pick as well. Uh, you know, he sure did his leadership role. He does all the little things that don't show up on the stat sheet. And there's an argument uh, to be made for that. Um, but, he, you know, again, that's why Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer are the pillars of the franchise right now. At the center position, one, two. I mean, this that's going to be a duo that's going to be, I would say, and it's a little early to say this. A lot has to happen, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if both Heischer and and Hughes, you know, would go in the Hockey Hall of Fame, depending upon what happens in the next ten years, if they're both together as that duo, like Malkin and and um, and Crosby. If they're able to stay with the Devils organization for a significant amount of time, which they are due to do, which they are due for because um, their contracts are long term and they're able to maintain this level of success and they're able to if if he sure can win a Selkie, if Jack can win a heart or if they can be a part of a championship winning uh, team uh, sometime down the road, they are definitely going to see their numbers hung in the rafters at the Prudential Center. And uh, they'll be uh, one of the rare, um, the rare exceptions uh, for Devils players to have their numbers retired at the Prudential Center and not be defensemen because obviously Patrick Elias is the only forward to have his number retired at the Prudential Center. But like you said, Hockey Hall of Fame, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, but they're still very young, still very early on in their career. And this kind of segues into my next question. Let's look at someone who is an X factor for the team. So an X factor, I like to think is someone who is not the most praised, but at the same time, they're not underappreciated. They're somewhere in that happy medium, which is if they do well, they get their roses, they get their recognition. But at the same time, sometimes you might forget about them. It's sort of in that middle part. So if you had to pick one player, who is a big X factor for the Devils? John Marino. Absolutely, John Marino on the blue line. He took care of business defensively. Um, you know, he may not put up the kind of numbers like Dougie Hamilton would 
on the power play and, and nearly 80 points on the season. Uh, he's, but John Marino was the biggest gain of the previous offseason when they made that trade for Ty Smith for Marino coming to New Jersey. His cap number is good. Uh, he's signed long-term. He's young. Uh, you saw him on that last shift against Carolina, uh, bloodied up after getting hit in the in the face with a puck, but still went out there. Uh, those that kind of leadership, that quiet leadership, leading by example, is infectious, and the rest of the team will follow in in his in in his uh, footsteps and just that grittiness. But also, he can play. He's right-handed defensively. He can skate very well. He can skate with the rest of them. Uh, that's the first name that comes in my mind in terms of the X factor uh, on offense. Now, I'm sorry, on defense. But on offense, I, I like to say Eric Holla. I mean, I think he's an underrated player. I mean, a lot has, you know, the media likes to get that comparison with him and Pavel Zaka, just like how we were, you know, a lot of fans were talking about Ty Smith and John Marino. But uh, Eric Holla has the respect of Jack Hughes. And Eric Holla was doing all the little things right. And he even dropped the gloves when he needed to. So he's kind of like that interchangeable part. Kind of reminds me of when Sergey Breland played, uh, you know, for the Devils. Just, you know, one of these guys that, you know, you can plug him in anywhere, whether it's wing, center, uh, being a leader, um, or scoring that, you know, big goal or getting those chances, you know, putting the pressure uh, on net. Eric Holla was, you know, that X factor when he was on the team did well. And you saw that in the first round of the playoffs. So you are the first person who I've talked to who picked two X factors. And I think you're right for both of them. So obviously Eric Holla, he's sort of like that Swiss army knife. He's uh, penalty killing. He's sometimes contributing on a power play. So special teams is definitely a priority, but at the same time, he does face-offs. He does the little things and, you talked about this. People were wondering, why was he paired alongside Jack Hughes early on in the year? Well, the reason for that was because he does the little minuscule things so that way Hughes can have some pressure lifted off his shoulders so that way Hughes doesn't have to work the corners. Hughes doesn't have to do the face-offs. Jack can focus on Jack, and Eric could sort of be like that shield, that protector. And we saw uh, Hala really step up his game in terms of scoring towards the end of the year. And it was on full display during the playoffs. And I always say you seal your legacy during the playoffs. And speaking of which, John Marino was able to have a big showing during the playoffs as well. And I, I think Marino is definitely uh, an interesting player on the defensive side of things. And I think a lot of people should definitely factor in that the, that, uh, the Devils' is blue line, while it's not going to generate the most offense because we're going to rely on Dougie to do that, they certainly know how to hold down the four because in this day and age, uh, what, what what's so big about a, a defenseman nowadays? It's just like people want two-way defensemen, but the Devils are kind of shying away from that. They're kind of uh, looking for defensemen who really just focus on defense, and that's sort of their culture ingrained in them. So people like Jonas Siegenthaler, John Marino, now you add uh, Kevin Ball to the mix. These are players that their offense is not really going to light the league on fire, but they, but even though they're not producing the points, they're not slowing down the offensive execution. 
they are able to keep the the play on sides. They're able to uh, use their bodies to their advantage. They're able to uh, play a big brute style of hockey on the blue line that makes it tough for teams to try to score on them. So that's my thing, which is the defense for Devils, like you said, has been very impressive. And I think a lot of people should take notes as to how you do your job because John Marino, Jonas Siegenthaler, they might not be the most electrifying players, but there's a reason why they were underappreciated on their previous team. So Marino with the Penguins and then Siegenthaler with the Capitals, the Devils were able to find some diamond in the roughs and it's been big on their blue line. So moving on from MVPs and X factors, let's look at an underrated player. So a player that never really gets all that recognition, but is still very essential on the team. So you already mentioned Eric Holla to an extent, but is there another player that sort of falls under the radar that deserves more attention, but a lot of people just aren't real are just oblivious to him? Michael McLeod? You, you know, his faceoffs are good. He's, he's a big forward. That fourth line, you know, does a lot of good when Lindy Ruff can roll those four lines it takes you know you know it takes uh look a lot of energy a lot of energy and you know and up front mike michael mcleod you know he gets dirty and when nathan bastion was out you know it was mcleod you know again he was pretty consistent on that fourth line again he's not going to score you know 20 30 goals but you know what there i think there was a sequence this season, it was this season or the, the previous season where Jack Hughes or Nico Heischer, uh, I forgot which one, passed the puck to to uh, Mikey McLeod for the empty net goal, just because he's just doing all the, you know, the 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 little things. And during the playoffs, you saw his confidence grow in that game seven when he scored that game winning goal, essentially, uh, and you know how Palat willed himself to get that pass off and McLeod took care of it and buried it past Shesterkin, you saw his confidence go up. And I'm just wondering what will happen this upcoming season when, you know, if he could take that confidence and just build on it and be like a really a threat on that fourth line, just the way Bobby Holik was back in the crash line days back in 95. Yeah, so the dynamic between Michael McLeod and Nathan Bastian is quite interesting because for Bastian, he doesn't stick out in any particular category, but the five-on-five numbers don't lie, and I talked to Christy about this. Bastian just knows how to do his job. He knows what to do on the penalty kill especially, and uh, all about the jersey.com actually released an interesting fact, which is when Nathan is without McLeod, Bastian still does well, but the other way around McLeod will struggle without Bastion. So you are right. McLeod is definitely very underrated because uh, I believe he led the devils in faceoffs and he does the little things. He knows how to check really well. Uh, but, but my, uh, an underrated player that I want to highlight. Cause I, like I said, I touched on this with Christy Flannery when she appeared on the show not too long ago is that Bastion is just like, like the five on five numbers are really good when he's out there. The devils are a much better team when he's suiting up as we saw in December, when he was out for an extended period of time and the devils had their worst month of the season. He just adds a different dynamic to their uh, overall depth. 
And even though Bastion and McLeod, they're the super buddies, uh, it, it just seems like Bastion will will thrive just fine without McLeod. But the other way around, McLeod tends to struggle. But still, McLeod is just like they're just interesting players because their impact and their and their contributions to the team, a, a lot of uh, teams might not really appreciate it as much because when Bastion was with the Seattle Kraken, he, he was barely utilized correctly. Like they didn't really like him out there. So that's why they ended up waving him and the devils picked them right back up. So it's just, I, I, I talked about it in one of my episodes last month, which is I found that quite interesting that when Bastion was picked up by the Kraken in the expansion draft, when he was out there, he was basically a nobody. They didn't use him correctly, but when he comes back to the devils, he's one of their essential depth pieces. Yeah. And, you know, I was always high on Nathan Bastion and I was sad to see him go during the expansion draft, but somehow a stroke of luck, he's back in New Jersey and basically the devils gave up nothing, um, you know, to, to, to get him back and going back to, you know, I think you were saying about the, all about the Jersey, you know, that is correct that when Bastion was out, McLeod struggle, but just remember they play two different positions. There's two different, you know, with Bastion, he's on the wing, you know, when he's he's on the power play at times, uh, when they put him right in front of the net. Uh McLeod, you know, again, you know, when you lose that lose that winger, I mean, he, he had a lot of responsibility when when Bastion was out. So that could be just part of it as well, that you know, he's doing more. Um, you know, w- without his line mate, uh, when Bastion was out, right? So, it, they're they're the super buddies for a reason, they're a dynamic duo. So, like I said, like I'm not trying to put one of them on a higher pedestal, but yeah, it's uh, their dynamic is definitely interesting and it's something that's definitely going to be a big X factor going forward. And now, going from players that are currently on the team, let's talk about players that were added during the offseason. So, what has been your favorite offseason move made by Fitzgerald because he got rid of some dead weight. He was able to add some new contributors. Obviously the devils kind of thrived before the draft, but uh, during free agency, I think their biggest signing was obviously getting Tomas Nosek. So my thing is like, um, what was your, what was your favorite move made so far by Tom Fitzgerald? Well, you know, it's funny. Tom Fitzgerald got all his homework done before free agency started. You know, I, I think flipping uh, uh, Damon Severson on expiring contract just to get that third rounder and then take that third rounder and package it with Sharon Govich, I believe, to Calgary uh, for Tyler Toffoli. Uh, it's not so much one move. It's that whole sequence. It's like how you? How were you able to do that? I mean, that's why we call him Tom Fleece Gerald. He he just he knows his stuff. He 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 does not overvaluate. He doesn't undervaluate. You know the player. It, it, you got to give credit to the scouting department as well. Um, you know, when he's making these moves, he's making these moves not really to rip off the other team. I, I know we kid around about it because we like to laugh about what happened with the Adam Larson and Taylor Hall and then the Taylor Hall, you know, what was hauled back 
when they uh, when Ray Shiro traded him to uh, Arizona, and then what Tom Fitzgerald has done then, um, or even the Ty Smith John Marino trade. But uh, honestly, I I think that first domino where he sent Severson, who got a a big fat contract uh, out of Columbus, and congratulations to him because that's what he wanted. And um, and but just to get an asset back when Columbus could have just waited to, to July 1st, but was able to pull that off and then pull off the to Foley trade. I thought that was a great move. Just those two moves. Absolutely. And people are wondering, like, is to Foley a rental? And I'm just like, doesn't really matter, because if you think about it, you essentially traded Damon Severson because, you know, that was the first domino piece to fall. You trade away Severson, who is said to become a UFA to the Columbus Blue Jackets to get that third round pick. And Sharon Govich was set to become an RFA and Sharon Govich's time on the devil's roster. It just seemed like his role was going to diminish like year after year after year, especially with Timo Meyer now added to the roster. I said, if it wasn't due for injuries in the second half, Sharon Govich probably wouldn't have seen a lick of playing time for the most part. So it was just like, you know, you trade away Sharon Govich and, and Severson, and you get Tyler Toffoli out of it, doesn't matter if it's a rental or not. You you, you were able to make something out of it. So I thought that was a, a, a good move by Fitz, Fitzy. But my favorite move, and I talked to Christy, and I talked to Jersey Joe about this, but uh, Colin Miller. I love Colin Miller and what he was able to do for the Dallas Stars. And we talk about defensemen that fall uh, under the radar. I think Miller is the epitome of it just because he – had a, a high amount of blocks, a high amount of hits. He has a good defensive point shares. He has a high plus minus. And yes, his showing in the playoffs, I think that's one of the reasons why the stars were willing to move on from him at such, such a cheap deal. But I think Miller's going to be an, a unique player added on to this roster and adds more depth on the right-handed side for Devils. So obviously, since Graves and Severson are now gone, you sort of needed more defensive help, and especially since Shimon Nemetz and Kevin Ball, Luke Hughes are projected to get bigger roles now. You kind of need some more veteran help. You need you need to even it out just a little bit more. And I think Miller is going to be that help that the Devils need because for someone like Brendan Smith, it's like I love Smith in the locker room. I love his leadership. I love his enthusiasm. I love how he treats us media personnel. But at the end of the day, and he even admitted it, his, uh, his role with the team, I think it's better utilized as his voice in the locker room as opposed to his actual play. And that's, I'm paraphrasing what he told us at exit interviews. So my thing is like, you know, um, it, it couldn't have been Smith. Smith cannot be an everyday guy. Now you get Miller. Okay. That's interesting. I like that dynamic. So I think Colin Miller is going to be an interesting ad for the Devils, and I'm excited to see what he could do come next year. Oh, yeah, and just remember one thing, um, just going back to the to Foley uh, trade, the Devils' top six each can score 30 goals next season. That's like 180. That's 180 goals. So, and, and But there's a, a couple 40-goal scores in the mix. I mean, I think that Dawson Mercer can score 30-plus. I think Toffoli can do 30-plus. Uh, Jack can do 30-plus. Uh, Timo Meyer can do 30-plus. Uh, Jesper Bratt can do 
30 plus. Nico Heischer can do 30 plus. I mean, that, that, the, the top six is unbelievable. And I think that's what it just exponentializes what, how big of a threat offensively the Devils are, you know, with that trade. Now, with Colin Miller, that's a, I'll tell you what, that's a great value trade because you're trying to replace Ryan Graves and, and, uh, Damon Severson and with potentially two rookies, but having that veteran presence there without having to give up much to get him uh, and the cap number looks pretty good as well. I think that was an excellent move that again, just one of those small underrated moves that doesn't have the headlines. I think that's could make a, a pretty big difference on the blue line. Okay. Last question expectations going into the new year. I want to get your way too early thoughts on the matter. Expectations of the new. I think the devils are going to make it to the Eastern conference finals. And I think there's going to be a painful lesson learned, but it's going to be something that will springboard them into a Stanley cup in 2025. You know what? Uh, it's funny because I, I don't know what the odds are now, but a few weeks ago I was looking at the FanDuel um, odds and uh, they were projecting for the Devils to not not win the Stanley Cup this year, but the year after. And in fact, go back to back. So uh, if, if the Devils are able to go back to back in 2025 and 2026, I'll take that. And I think uh, their favorites are the Carolina Hurricanes to win it all next year. But I'd say anywhere from Eastern Conference Final to Stanley Cup Final, I think that's definitely going to be the that's going to be the ceiling for the Devils. And the fact that they were a lottery team not too long ago, I kind of like that. Honestly, I'm I'm perfectly content with that. But I think what Fitzgerald is trying to form right now, I think the culture he's established and. Uh, he even said it during one of his uh, media availabilities that he bet on New Jersey and now he's winning. So yeah. so he took a gamble and uh, it's coming into fruition. So the Devils are no longer looking to thrive in the draft. They're no longer looking to thrive in their pipeline. They're looking at the future. But in, instead of looking at, like, who do we rebuild around? It's like, how do we build our team around Jack and Nico in order to contend for a Stanley cup. Yeah. And you know what? One year of maturity is worth a lot on this roster compared to last year's roster. So, you know, the experience that, that they've had, they went through a seven game series where they're with the biggest rival against the New York Rangers. That, that is going to serve them very well moving forward. And then going against the Carolina hurricanes, Let's be honest. What if they didn't, like game four, they had the lead. What if they didn't get down on themselves and they were able to claw back and make the series 2-2? You know, the biggest lesson learned during last season's playoffs is that they were down uh, 2-0 in both series. They got away with it with, with the New York Rangers, but they didn't get away with it with the Carolina Hurricanes. They were just too good. And and um, and I, I, I foresee that that probably even especially for Siegenthaler, I think that will that sting will help propel them 
to do greater this season, this upcoming season, just like what happened in 94 when the Rangers beat the Devils in that game seven, a rookie Martin Brodeur had to endure. But if it wasn't for that, who knows if the Devils would have had three Stanley Cups in 95, 2000, and 2003. So you just never know. Sometimes you need a big, hard failure to to have success. So, you know, I, I fully expect the Devils to improve on what, the, you know, what they did last season. Absolutely. And um, going back to the Hurricane Series, yeah, they dropped the first two games in embarrassing fashion. They they went on a tear in game three, able to, to get one. Then I was at the game in the press box for game four, and they got off to a one nothing lead. But unfortunately, the Hurricanes just had too much momentum going their way. Devils lose that one in embarrassing fashion. Then come game five, Devils had the lead, but unfortunately they weren't able to maintain it, and that was their that was uh, death's door for them. They they basically just uh, one bad bounce, and that was Siegenthaler shooting that puck, you know, up up into the stands. But really, that was actually if you if you looked at it, it was Tatar that went backwards. Yeah. Know? So yeah, it's a two way street. I know people yeah. are to blame Siegenthaler, but I was like. Look at Thomas Tatar, the play before. I never really talked. I, I talked about it once after the game on my show, but I never really went into it on, on full detail. But I just said it's a two-way street. Or when people want to blame Timo Meyer for not getting that open opportunity to score, I was like, yes, that's frustrating. But at the same time, that would have been an insurance goal. That was not a game-winning goal. That was not a game-tying goal. That was an insurance goal. Mm-hmm. And the Devils still had the lead to work with, and they still blew it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I want I want people to know like it's a two way street. Yeah, but overall, I mean, one one bad bounce and the Devils could have won that game, game five, and then game six. You bring it back to Prudential. Who knows what it could ha- would have happened if the Devils won that game, and then you have a game seven where <laughs> anything can happen. You know, even though that you're on the road, you know, sometimes sometimes. Uh, players they get a little too over amped up they're at home game seven you know and make mistakes i mean you know that's you know a lot of this is psychology a lot of it is just you know just pure luck you know with some of these games that you play so anything could happen but you know overall i think the devils they they look good their cap situation looks pretty good in my opinion you know there's a lot of one two-year deals again i love I love uh, how Tom Fitzgerald, that salary cap culture that he's put in, because you know what? Some of these deals, you know, some of these players are on one, two years. It's like, oh, they'll be off the books. You got to pay Dawson Mercer. No problem. You've got to pay Luke Hughes. No problem. You've got to pay Simon Nemitz. No problem. Right. And and then you've got their their core players, you know, on the roster for a very long time. Right. And obviously that's going to be a big talking point because Mercer's due for a contract. Uh, uh, Hughes and Nemish are not going to be on their entry level contracts too long. Um, in fact, Akira Schmidt only has one more year left on his entry level contract. So you got to pay him. And it's easy to play the shoulda, woulda, coulda card on the Hurricane series. But the fact of the matter is the Devils did get embarrassed and uh, the, the Hurricanes just were the better team that series. But it, you need that humbling experience. You need to fail before you succeed. So I think the door is just opening for devils in terms of them being Stanley cup contenders. And now come next year, I think 
expectations are going to be higher. To, and yes, they had a historic season, but now it's how how do you uh, top it a little bit? How do you maintain it? It's good. It's going to be hard to top it, but still, you you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, Sam, we talked about everything from uh, the season. We talked about your personal team awards. We talked about expectations going into the new year. I want to thank you for taking the time out your busy day to do this. Where can my audience find you at? Yeah, you can find us, uh, the Let's Go Devils podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Just type in the search, Let's Go Devils podcast. Also on Twitter, at Let's Go Devils pod. And uh, on Facebook, at Let's Go Devils podcast. And our YouTube channel, Let's Go Devils. And we expect to see you guys at American Whiskey doing some live shows. Am I correct this upcoming year? Oh, yeah. Yeah, American Whiskey. And also, we're going out on the road. So, Trey, you got to visit us. And we're going to visit you in Arizona. Yeah, you're going to visit me in Arizona, and yeah. I might actually have to tag along with you guys to the trip to Vegas because I do want to go to T-Mobile Arena to cover the Devils there. So uh, it might be a – and I might have some fun with you guys in Sin City. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Sam's a married man, guys, just putting that out there. <laughs> so – well, I'm sorry, what were you about to say? Oh, no, only Mrs. Wu is worried about what I'm eating. She doesn't worry about that stuff. So anyway, macronutrition, Sam, micronutrition or whatever it's called. So Sam, pleasure is always mine. And like I do to close out every show, continue to stay safe. Have a wonderful day, New Jersey. Go Devils. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening once again. Sam, thanks uh, for taking the time to appear once more.